Hello, everyone. Welcome to Professional Oklahoma Educators Bite-Size Learning Podcast, where bite-size changes can have a big impact in the classroom. This is Season 1, Episode 12. I'm Jason Bings, the host of this podcast. In this episode, we're taking a look at student engagement. Now, there are some questions that are asked by teachers during workshops or training or professional learning seminars that can easily stump a speaker if they're not fully prepared for it. Some of those questions are, what do I do with a student that won't participate? Or what do I do with a student that's always off task? Or how do I get everyone to participate in the lesson? And you may be given several possible answers for that. They might tell you to make your lesson more engaging, or you need to provide scaffolding for your struggling students, or you need to make your work more challenging because your gifted students are bored. Now, none of those answers really give you any information that you can really use. Truthfully, all they do is irritate you and belittle your skills as a teacher. Now, there are two key factors related to student achievement and success in the classroom. No matter what else is said, everything ties back to these two items, and that's relationships and lesson design. When you look at these two ideas, it may help to think of a business model. You, as the teacher, would be the business owner. Your student be the customer. Your job as the business owner is to be a trusted source of a product that your customer wants or needs. This is where the relationship side comes into play. If you've established a strong relationship with your customer, then they're more likely to try something new when it's presented. If you have a poor relationship with your customer, your students, they're not going to trust you when you recommend a new product. Now, if you're not able to package your product in a way that demonstrates the need adequately, they're not going to buy it. doesn't matter how much of a show you put on or how flashly the display is going to be. Your lesson design is the same way. It must clearly demonstrate a need or a want that meets some intrinsic desire within your students. It doesn't matter what tech toys you use or what flashy gadgets you incorporate into it. If you don't clearly make your students realize how much they need what you're sharing, they're not going to want it, not going to want to learn it, not going to want to participate in it. In business, the customer is the primary focus of the business owner. The business is focused on getting and keeping customers, and they do that through customer service, through relationships, and through quality products, which is lesson design. So your classroom needs to have an identical mindset. Great customer service and great products. In business, it doesn't matter how flashy or new a product is, it will not sell if it breaks easily or doesn't perform as advertised. If it does sell, you're not going to get repeat customers from it. Your lessons don't need to be flashy or new, but they do need to be quality. And so as we think about this mindset, I have to ask, how do you view your role as a teacher? Do you see yourself as an instructor? Do you see yourself as a leader? Do you see yourself as a designer of work? Do you see yourself as a guide to instruction? Which of those in what combinations are most important to be successful in the classroom? When we look at the most effective teachers, we see that they're very adept at designing engaging work for students instead of planning interesting lessons. 
And so I think at this point we need to change our terminology from lesson planning to lesson design if we want to see true success in the classroom. I've been asked, and I've also asked this question in job interviews, how can you tell when students are engaged? Now many of us struggle to adequately articulate an answer to this. We often say the students are working, that they're not talking off topic, that they're paying attention, they're participating, and we can throw out other terms and, and other behaviors that we would like to see in them. But are they really engaged when they're doing these things? Maybe, maybe not. And maybe is about as confident an answer as you can give to this question because truthfully they can be showing all the outward signs that we expect from students during a lesson. The problem is we often confuse engagement with compliance. And so a lot of the, the information that I'm pulling this from is from the work of Philip Schlechty. And Schlechty says that there are four components that are always present when students are engaged. The engaged student is attentive. We're saying attentive in the sense that he or she pays attention to and focuses on the tasks that are associated with the work that's being done. The engaged student is committed. He or she voluntarily, without the promise of any extrinsic rewards or the threat of negative consequences, gives and uses those scarce resources that they actually have under, under their control, and that's time attention, and effort. And they give these resources to support the activity that's being called for by the work that's assigned. The engaged student is also persistent. This student sticks with the task even if it gets difficult. And the engaged student finds meaning and value in the tasks that make up the work. And so those four components again are attentive, committed, persistent, and finds meaning and value. On-task behaviors don't necessarily indicate engagement. It only indicates that the student is attentive to the task, which is only one of the four components of the, of the engagement process. So the student may be attentive simply because of some extrinsic motivator like grades or extracurricular activities. So they're trying to make sure that they are still passing for um, athletics or, or band or something else. Now the student may be attentive because of fear of punishment too. So in order to justify saying students are engaged, there needs to be attention, commitment, and persistence. And usually if you have those three, then they're also going to be finding meaning and value in the work. Otherwise, they wouldn't stay committed and wouldn't be persistent about it. So students may be involved in the lesson, but they may not be engaged in the lesson. So it's very possible to be involved and not engaged which the term we would use for that is compliance. And we truthfully need to want more than just compliance out of our students. So a big difference between students that are engaged and those that are not is how the students relate to the situation or the task. Unfortunately, as teachers, we're often satisfied with compliance and we don't worry about moving beyond compliance and going to engagement. If students are completing the assigned tasks and not being disruptive, we feel like we're doing our jobs. We shouldn't settle for this, but we should insist on engagement. Sometimes when we redesign our lessons to be more engaging, it can actually result in some of our best students, our students who were the most compliant, becoming upset because they were motivated by grades 
and when they get upset they start to rebel a little bit. They rebel because the engaging activities don't always involve grades and rewards that pay off the way that they're used to. Now you can see some of this uh, sometimes when the students are choosing their courses. Because they'll choose courses not because they're interested in that subject, but because it's going to increase their GPA. It may be a weighted course, and so it's going to increase the likelihood they get a scholarship. At the elementary level, it may be that they're motivated by a desire to please their teacher or their parents, which isn't bad, but they're not truly engaged in the learning. So our desire should be to move away from these extrinsic motivators like grades and other rewards toward more intrinsic motivation, this desire and this connection with the topic. And this may involve us designing lessons that don't follow traditional scoring practices. We may have to have students demonstrate their learning in non-traditional formats, where they have to apply what they've learned to new situations and experiences. When we look at learning, we can break it into two basic types, superficial and profound. Now, superficial learning is usually short-term. It has little application and context for the student to re really retain the information. All that's required for this type of learning is the student to comply with the instructions we've provided and enough time on task to retain the information until they have to prove that they've mastered it on a quiz or a test. Unfortunately, much of what students learn in school has a tendency to fall into this category. They remember it only long enough to perform on a test, and then it's compartmentalized or it's forgotten since they don't need it any longer. On the other hand, profound learning shapes students' habits, thinking, and worldviews. The knowledge and information they gain can be transferred to other situations and contexts outside of the classroom or subject area in which they were obtained. This is not merely the memorization of facts and trivia, but it requires the learner to evaluate those facts and information in a way that allows them to make an application to other areas and create new constructs of information. When students are engaged, they relate to the information and the tasks differently than if they were just being compliant. They move beyond this desire for avoiding punishment and earning rewards the effort they put into the task changes drastically to the point that they get lost in the work. When you hear the students groan or sigh when the bell rings or when it's time to move on to a different task, you get a good sense that you've moved from compliance to engagement for that lesson. Another critical piece of engagement is trust. If you've established a strong relationship with your students, a trusting relationship, they trust that the work that you're asking them to do has meaning and they're more likely to engage in even the most boring tasks. They will do this because they trust that you will not give them anything that does not have a relevant purpose and meaning. So don't break that trust with busy work. One way you can do this is to ask your students about the work you assign. You need to genuinely try to improve what you assign by engaging your students in conversation about the work. The business of your classroom is learning. Remember that customer service model we mentioned earlier. Your job as a teacher is not to entertain your students or to be the fun teacher, but what you should be doing is create an environment that helps students engage in the learning process 
And if they are truly engaged, they are going to enjoy learning, and learning will be fun for them. Entertainment is meant to be a distraction for the mind, while engagement is meant to involve the mind in the process. Engagement focuses our intention. Entertainment, again, is a distraction. You can use fun and humor to help focus attention on a topic, but you need to be careful that you're not using it as a tool of distraction. If you feel the only way to get students' attention is through, through entertainment, then it's likely that you haven't designed an engaging lesson. Students who are engaged do not need to be entertained. All right, so we're back to the question. How can I tell if a student is engaged? This is often asked in interviews, like I said before, and in all honesty, it's really a trick question. But in most cases, the person that's asking it doesn't intend for it to be a trick question. They don't realize that it is. I've often given answers to this question consisting of the behaviors that I would expect to see in my students if they were engaged, but that's misleading. It's difficult for a teacher to determine if a student is engaged just by direct observation. Even though you may see some attributes of engagement, you won't see all of them. When your administrator is performing a walkthrough or an observation, they truly can't determine if your students are engaged just through that short, brief walkthrough. The best they can do is observe on-task behaviors that are consistent with engagement. But those may also be behaviors that are associated with compliance. They can't see persistence and commitment, which are two of the four aspects of engagement that are not easily observed in a quick walkthrough or through a 20-minute observation. So without consulting the students about, about the learning process, and about what they're learning, it's difficult to determine if they're fully engaged. So if we look at Schlechty's work again, we see that he classifies student responses to learning tasks into five categories. The first one is engagement, and that's our desires that all students are there. So engagement is where students find personal meaning in the work and they're not focused on the reward punishment model. Grades don't really matter in these cases. The next category is strategic compliance. Now there is a conditional commitment to the work in this case, which means that as soon as you remove that reward, the effort starts to go away. As soon as the grade aspect of it is taken away, you see performance decrease. So these students may complete the work, but they're only doing it to get the grade or to prevent being punished for not completing the work successfully. The next group, next level, is ritual compliance. This level of compliance is more closely associated with, associated with the student that simply does the minimum to get by. If you use a rubric for scoring the work of your students and it identifies the bare minimum level passing or for earning an A, the student in this category will do the absolute minimum required to reach their desired reward. And so if all they want is to pass, then they're going to do the bare minimum to reach that mark. The next group is classified under the term retreatism. Now this is the student that is non-compliant, but they're not a disruption. So their goal is to fly under the radar, and if they don't cause a scene, the teacher's not going to notice them and they can get by without doing anything. This is the live and let live mentality. But you've got to be careful because when you push this student to perform, they're going to go one of two directions. They may move up to the ritual compliance and do that bare minimum to get by, 
or they may move down to the next category, which is rebellion. And this is a form of non-compliance that's more active than retreatism. So the students in this category are not only refusing to do the work, but they're doing so in a way that's a distraction to others. Or they may be openly working on the work of other teachers in your classroom. So that's also a form of rebellion. So they're doing this when they should be focused on the work that you've given to them. Now, as the teacher, you're the one that's best positioned to determine if your students are truly engaged in the learning process versus being compliant. And you can only do that once you've established a level of trust that encourages them to provide honest feedback about the work you're giving. Now, you can get feedback from your students using questions that are similar to these. Did you enjoy the class today? If so, what made it enjoyable? If not, what would have increased the level of enjoyment? Did you find any part of your work difficult? If so, what did you do? For example, did you just give up or settle for this is the best I can do and go on? And how did you feel about what you did? Why did you do the work you were assigned? Do you think you learned anything worthwhile from that work? If so, what and how could I know what you've learned? You could also ask, if you were to teach this class, what kind of activities would you build in and why would you do that? So if you take the time to ask these questions, you can begin redesigning your lessons in a way that's going to make them more engaging and have a lifelong impact on your students. Now this is really just an introduction to engagement, and it's meant to get you thinking about the design of your lessons and what they're doing to meet the needs of your students and engaging them in the learning process. I do appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. Please share it and comment to let us know how we can help you and others. You can leave your comments within whatever podcatcher you're using, but in order to make sure we receive them in a timely manner, please go to bit.ly slash bite-sized-pod and complete the form. If you would like to schedule a professional learning session for your school or an online meeting, you can send an email to pd at apoe.org. If you'd like more information about professional Oklahoma educators, check out our website, www.apoe.org. You can find the links to this podcast and blog under the Resources tab on the website, or you can get to it by going directly to poebitesizedlearning.blogspot.com. POE is also on Facebook at apoe.org and on Twitter at prof.oklahoma.edu.